All right, um, good morning, everyone. Sister Ambi Putben. Um, it seems as if we are, I mean, it's almost half past, um, so that we can start with the hearing. Um, so please advise when we're good to go. Sister Mbik Putben, are we good to go? Good morning, Chairperson. Another two minutes, please, Chairperson. Okay, sure. All right, I thought I was talking to myself. Okay, cool, you.
Honorable Chaperson. Ah, Papsomia. Are Paratangua. Ah, Parasomia, who are more wounded? Hood, hood, manier. Alessandre Axe, Hans Kalamsni. Oh, can he learn? Uns can begin. Her clusters. Her clusters. Ah, thank you, Akbar, for Good morning. What can I meet your men? No, I am only so. Who come? Who come, Friday? What can I meet you? All right, uh, colleagues, this is proof of life. Uh, the network is very, very bad. Um, I think, um, colleagues, I, I do want to start off uh, with, um, of course, an apology for yesterday, um, because um, ESCOM quite clearly is um, hell-bent on derailing all of us. Um, even now, there are colleagues who are battling to connect. Recording in progress. Because of um, load shedding. This situation continues to be untenable and quite frankly, totally unacceptable and an indication of a total collapse of consequence management in that load shedding continues without consequence, politically and administratively at that entity. And, and I, I think it's good and opportune that um, in about two weeks, we will be at ESCOM. Uh, for an almost week-long oversight visit. And quite frankly, something has got to give. The risk of ESCOM and load shedding thereof to the economy and just the social stability and political um, trajectory of this country are all at risk because of ESCOM. And I think that maybe, you know, we've, we've over-lamented without action. And also on the other hand, quite frankly, load shedding is not a default position without consequence. It's not a willy-nilly tool, particularly when the situation is as dire as things are. And I, and I raise this because amongst other things, the meeting we are having this morning should really demonstrate for us whether even people who are doing business with ESCOM, they themselves have had to bear the brutal brunt. Um, of blacklisting. But quite frankly, this is an executive failure. The realities of ESCOM are an executive failure. So I, I, I actually, I am just, yeah, <clears throat> just putting that out there that ESCOM exists as a fundamental risk to every effort at reconstructing the economy, economic growth and economic development, and the very urgent reality of job creation, revenue collection, so that we can be able to you know, get in the money to meet the social demands and so on. Nobody's going to want to do business with the country that's just continuing on a trajectory of this careless, reckless and irresponsible outlook of failing to manage the energy realities of the country. So it's actually quite, a, 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 a serious matter and something's got to give. Anyway, 
Colleagues, good morning and welcome. We are meeting this morning with National Treasury and the SIU. Um, we are dealing with um, the blacklisting of companies. I would like to take this opportunity one, to welcome you and um, colleagues and the Deputy Minister of Finance who is here and the team from National Treasury. Um, Advocate Mutibi, the head of unit of the SIU um, is present this morning. Um, and of course, as usual, our um, colleagues um, from the AG um, as well are here this morning who the AG and the SIU continue to be um, very constructive enablers for the committee to um, do its work. Um, so I would like to therefore colleagues request that uh, we start and appreciate the work that was done uh, yesterday by Wasomi. Thank you very much. Um, and then we will begin with the presentation from National Treasury and then go straight to the presentation by the SIU. Then we will field questions um, on both presentations so that we manage uh, time as well. And also um, just to get a sense of what is happening um, on both ends. So Sister Goodman, please enter the apologies um, into the record. Um, and then we will be good to go. May I take this opportunity then to welcome everyone and Deputy Minister, I will hand over to you and then you will deem um, as you deem fit. I have been advised that the minister is at cabinet um, this morning um, dealing with matters. That's what I was provided to you. But anyway, DM, let me hand over to you, uh, Masondo, um, to you and your team, um, and then we will take it from there. Thank you very much. Um, um, the chairperson of SCOPA and honorable uh, members. And uh, I may uh, suffer the consequence of ESCOM's inability to supply electricity. I'm told that by 12, I'll be loaded at Babshengwa. So in an event, I get cut, but I've got plan B. But if plan B doesn't work, uh, please bear with me. Um, and then thanks so much for giving us this opportunity to come and present uh, on this important issue, uh, which is about restricting companies, uh, popularly known as uh, blacklisting of companies and individuals that are implicated in corruption, non-performance and other malpractices while doing business uh, with government. So the blacklisting is an important step in fighting corruption and to entrench a culture of good governance throughout the state and its entities. I mean, Chair, uh, there are usually two reasons why, as you, you know, uh, why companies uh, are blacklisted by government. The first being that uh, when companies, uh, suppliers, individuals of goods and services engage in corrupt and other malpractices such as non-performance and irregular activities, they get blacklisted. That's the first reason. The second reason is when a court of law has ruled that a company should be blacklisted. And the common thread in the circumstances that lead to companies uh, being blacklisted is mainly underperformance incomplete of projects, corruption, and it's a well-known fact that individuals both in the private sector, in private companies, and in the state 
they engage in corrupt activities. And corruption, Chair, it's a major problem in our country, not only because it robs the poor of services, but it also deters uh, investment. If investors know that they have to incur an extra cost to get certain things done, they will not invest because uh, we're making it costly for them to put their money uh, or retain their money in South Africa. The corruption also affects our ability to generate uh, tax revenue. If, for instance, government officials let good pass through the borders without paying official duties, uh, custom duties, uh, both the company concerned and the officials involved deny South Africans uh, good tax revenue. Corruption also kills entrepreneurship. If a company is established yesterday and tomorrow it, obtain, it, ob- it obtains a tender, that basically kills entrepreneurship. And uh, how therefore does uh, blacklisting from where we're sitting help in fighting corruption and other malpractices? Firstly, it acts as a deterrent and a punishment to those who engage in such practices. Secondly, it inspires confidence amongst companies that do business with the state, that uh, we are fair and uh, uh, we we do business in a competitive manner uh, with them. We we are also aware that uh, there are instances in which poor performance by companies is as a result of uh, poor project management. ESCOM, uh, Midupi and Kusile build program is a classic example of how poor project management can create cost overruns leading to possible corruption. I mean, ESCOM was uh, uh, dead, was uh, $255 billion in 2014. It increased to $450 billion in 2019, largely because of cost overrun and poor project management of these two, uh, the building of these two power stations. And we're also aware that uh, failure to pay in 30 days create cash flow problems leading to companies failing to efficiently provide goods and services to the state. And I do think, Chair, yeah, we really need your uh, support that uh, we honestly have to craft uh, specific regulations that punish accounting officers who fail to pay companies within 30 days. Companies are going bankrupt every day because We have left the payment within 30 days to the whims of accounting officers who fail to pay within the prescribed time. We always speak about consequence management. I do think that we need to pay specific attention, particularly on this one, because it has huge consequences on the performance of our own companies. And some of them, they end up being blacklisted for poor performance as a result of some of the cash flow problems that they have. Uh, Chair, in the recent past, we had challenges ourselves in National Treasury uh, associated with the uh, vacancy rate at the higher strategic level uh, in the department. And uh, the colleagues who've been acting in those positions 
they are doing their best uh, to do what is expected in some of those uh, uh, positions. And I'm pleased, uh, Chair and, and the committee, to inform you that on Monday, we've had interviews, uh, the minister conducted the interviews for the appointment of the chief procurement officer and that of the accountant general. And uh, I'm sure we'll have to follow the necessary processes within government uh, to make sure that we finalize uh, the filling of these uh, important positions, which will also assist us in dealing with some of the challenges related to um, uh, poor performance, contract management, uh, uh, SCM, supply management issues within the government system uh, as a whole. So we, we, we are on track in filling these positions, and I'm certain that very soon, having followed all the next steps, we should uh, fill, uh, we should um, uh, appoint uh, competent people to assist us with dealing with some of the issues that uh, I've just uh, mentioned. Uh, honorable members, let me now hand over to the uh, acting uh, chief uh, procurement uh, officer, Mr. Mulefefani, who will go into details on the mechanics, how we administer uh, blacklisting, including the laws and prescripts that guide us insofar as the blacklisting uh, is concerned. Uh, over to you, uh, Mr. Mulefe. Can you take the committee uh, through the, our presentation? Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, thank you very much, um, Deputy Minister. Um, good morning, um, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members and officials, as well as um, uh, members of public. I will share um, the presentation um, that deals with restriction of suppliers. Um, Honorable Chair, may I have an indication that the presentation is visible on your side? Uh, yes, it is. You may proceed. Thank you very much. The presentation would cover three parts. Um, that, that there will be part A, which speaks to the restriction process. Um, looking at the legal framework, there will be part B. We'll look at the database of restricted suppliers and the and the tender defaulters list. Um, part C will then look at what we have identified as discrepancies in the restriction um, of suppliers based on the current framework. Um, if I may resume with part A, pieces of legislation that govern restriction. We, we, in a nutshell, have what the Public Finance Management Act, um, which has a number of provisions for restriction of suppliers, um, the general conditions of contracts with specific um, um, emphasis in Section 23. We also um, had, um, Honorable Chair and Honorable Members, preferential procurement regulations, um, um, which were declared invalid. Um, um, by the Constitutional Court in the last ruling um, um, pertaining to the matter. Um, with 
With, with that, um, we've got the um, manage, um, Municipal Finance Management Act, Section 112, and we also have Regulation 38 um, and general conditions of contract that supports um, the Municipal Finance Management Act together with Circular 43. Um, also supporting the Public Finance Management Act is the um, SCM Instruction Note 3 um, of 2016-17 which is also under revision at the moment, as I've indicated in the last sitting of SCOPE. Um, if I may elaborate specific, um, on, um, on specifics um, of these sections, legislative framework, um, the PFMA specifically, under general conditions of contract, um, section 23 indicates that if a purchaser intends, um, if a purchaser intends um, imposing a restriction on a supplier or any person associated with a supplier, the supplier will be allowed a time period of not more than 14 days to provide reasons why the envisage restriction should not be imposed. Should the supplier fail to respond, um, honorable chair, within the stipulated um, time period of 14 days, the purchaser may regard the intended penalty as not being objected to and may impose it um, to the supplier. I think what is important is that the responsibility in terms of PFMA section 23 is on the purchaser. The purchaser here is the accounting officer or the organ of state um, or any other um, body or, or person who has been duly authorized um, um, in line with the legislations of government to, to um, provide um, purchasing for goods and services on behalf of government. Um, I think what is more important here is that um, we give suppliers an opportunity um, or 14 days to state their case and, and upon which the um, accounting officer who's the leader um, within the purchasing organization to um, 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 consider the mitigations that have been put forward and um, make a decision whether to restrict or not to restrict. The section 23 goes further and state that any restriction imposed on any person by the accounting officer or the accounting authority will, at the discretion of the accounting officer or the authority, um, also be applicable to any other enterprise or any partner, manager, director, or other person who wholly or partly exercises um, 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 or control over the enterprise of the first mentioned person. What, what this means, um, chairperson, um, honorable chairperson, honorable members, is that if a supplier is restricted, um, the accounting officer may um, make a decision that not only the supplier should be restricted, but the um, directors or owners of that um, 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 enterprise should be restricted. Um, um, which all that supplier should not only be restricted for that organ of state, should be restricted for the whole of government um, until the remedial actions are taken into consideration um, 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 to uplift such a restriction. I will touch on the time period it will take um, for a restriction of a supplier or the directors of a supplier. So basically the law is very clear that not only a supplier can be restricted, but the owners of such a company may be restricted as well so that they may not do business with, with, with government um, moving forward.
If we go further um, under Section 23C, um, these are the conditions under which um, such a restriction may be imposed on a supplier. If a restriction is imposed, the, the purchaser must, within five working days of such imposition, furnish the National Treasury with the following information. Um, uh, um, um, the, the, the emphasis here is that the, the, the purchaser, which is the accounting officer of the organ of state that is doing the purchasing, must furnish National Treasury with the information as um, indicated in the four um, um, bullets, the name and address of the supplier or the person that's been restricted, the date of commencement of the restriction, the period of restriction, and the, the reasons for the restriction. It is the responsibility of the accounting officer to ensure that all due diligence and all the supporting documentation that is required for restriction um, are sourced from the supplier that is envisaged for restriction. Um, um, National Treasury, upon receipt of this request by the accounting officer or, or the purchaser, um, will then load in the National Treasury central database of suppliers or persons prohibited from doing business with the public sector. So National Treasury will then restrict um, in the nutshell based on the information that is, that is received. Um, coupled with the Public Finance Management Act, there is an instruction note three of 2016-17, um, specifically uh, on paragraph seven, the restriction process is rehashed. That, that restriction process speaks from what the PFMA has already um, prescribed um, um, in, 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 um, in, in, in its sections. Um, if no response um, from the, that, if there's no response, um, um, honorable chairperson, from the supplier who is alleged to have not complied, the accounting office or accounting authority may regard the intended penalty as not objected to and may impose such penalty on the supplier. The accounting officer or the authority must assess the reasons provided by the supplier and take the final decision to restrict. Um, um, National Treasury um, is very strict with regards to um, what, these, what the accounting officer intends to do. If the intent is to restrict, they must be very explicit and the supporting documentation needs to come through with regards to why such a restriction will be imposed on the supplier. Um, I may have to indicate at this point, um, Honorable Chair, that suppliers do not take it lightly um, any intent by the organs of state to restrict. Um, um, they do oppose um, such restrictions. So it is critically important that the accounting officers um, and the accounting authorities um, 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 are strict on application of rules and the laws that are applicable before such a restriction is imposed on a supplier. Um, furthermore, um, if the penalty is imposed, the accounting office or the accounting authority must inform the National Treasury within um, seven calendar days of such a decision taken. Um, National Treasury will then load the details on the database of prohibited suppliers, um, and that supplier will indeed be prohibited um, from doing business with, um, with organs of states or with government specifically. Um, preferential procurement regulations, when they were still valid, honorable chair, honorable members, also under um, um, section 14, um, required that um, made requirements for national treasury to, to consider 
the documentations um, the organs of state um, provides to us for such a restriction. Um, the honorable um, um, members would, would note that um, the Constitutional Court has declared um, the um, differential procurement regulations to be invalid and the matter we are dealing with currently um, to ensure that government still procures goods and services and that clarification that we require from the Constitutional Court um, is sought and provided for. Um, Municipal Finance Management Act has um, section 112 um, and, um, that, that stipulates that the supply chain management policy of a municipality or municipal entity must be fair, equitable, transparent, competitive, and cost-effective and comply with the prescribed regulation or regulatory framework for municipal supply chain management, which must cover at least the following that the, the bearing of persons from participating in tendering or other bidding processes. So there is a direct pronouncement um, from MFMA um, and there is um, provision made for, for restriction um, in, the, in, 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 in that section 102 of Municipal Finance Management Act. Um, there is also stipulation in Regulation 38 um, that a supply chain management policy must provide measures for combating of abuse of the supply chain management system and must enable the accounting officer um, to reject any bids from a bidder who during the, the last five years has failed to perform. So this goes to performance of suppliers um, or municipal entity or any other organ of state after written notice was given to that bidder, that performance was unsatisfactory. Um, we cannot nilly-willy um, just um, 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 bear, um, put a bearing on um, suppliers from providing services. We must have demonstrated that we have performance-managed suppliers and that such performance management endeavors um, have resulted in, 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 in writing and that the final pronouncement has been made on unsatisfactory performance of the supplier by the municipal um, council or municipal entity or the supply chain. That, had, that, that provides that function for municipalities. Also, um, um, the accounting officer um, can cancel a contract awarded to a person if the person committed any corrupt or fraudulent act during the bidding process or the execution of the contract um, 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 accordingly. Um, further on, on section 38, the accounting officer must inform the national treasury and relevant provincial treasury in writing of any actions taken in terms of section 38 of the said regulations. There are further pronouncements that are made with regards to restriction of suppliers um, 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 based on numerous um, 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 criterion or criteria that could be used. Um, section 23 of, 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 PFMA, of MFMA um, makes such um, pronouncements as well as um, um, Secular 43. Um, Secular 43 provides for the process to restrict which council must adopt to ensure that the restriction process is procedurally fair. Um, when it comes to municipal um, space, uh, honorable chair, honorable members, the council must endorse such a decision for restriction of suppliers um, in line with PFMA. When it comes to PFMA, um, such a, an endorsement needs to come from National Treasury um, through the PFMA provisions that, that are given. If we look at um, 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 
um, um, part B of, of the presentation. Um, supplier restricted um, database, if I may speak to that, the accounting office or the accounting authority or national treasury may restrict um, the supplier bidder according to the applicable law. Um, we cannot operate outside the framework of what the law allows um, for, for any um, default um, listing of suppliers on the database can only happen if a court of law converts a person of an offense as contemplated in section 12 or 13 of the Prevention and Combating Activities Act, um, number 12 of 2004. The court may also rule that such person's name be endorsed in the register for tender defaulters. When a person's name has been endorsed in the register, the person will be prohibited from doing business within the public sector for a period not less than five years and not more than 10 years. The National Treasury is empowered to determine the period of restriction and each case will be dealt with on its own merit. Um, what we are saying and what the um, um, Deputy Minister of Finance has, has alluded to is that there are two areas of making sure that any supplier that has been found to have been on the wrong side of the law is, is prohibited from doing um, business with, 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 with government. Number one is through a, a, a thorough investigation through um, the purchaser or the organ of state with the approval of the accounting officer of the accounting authority for national treasury to effect the um, restriction on that supplier. And the second one is where there's a default judgment um, um, through the court of law, um, which then um, invokes the provision of the um, 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 Prevention and Combating Activities Act um, which then um, provides that, uh, that um, responsibility to um, restrict the supplier. Um, honorable Chair, Honorable Members, I must indicate at this point that um, National Treasury may not have sight of all the matters where such a default judgment has been admitted um, um, by, by, by um, competent courts. What is expected of accounting officers is where accounting officers has been engaged with the courts in such matters and such a default um, judgment has been made. It is required of the accounting officers to inform National Treasury of such a default position um, so that the National Treasury may include such suppliers and such um, individuals um, on the list of defaulters um, as it is envisaged. By, by, by various um, prescripts as, as, as alluded to earlier. That brings us to um, how we are performing as organs of states with regards to making sure that the defaulters um, or suppliers that are listed for restriction um, um, are, are dealt with accordingly and may not be able to do business with government for a period up to 10 years. Um, if you look at our statistics at the moment, there aren't any um, um, defaulters that have been um, registered at National Treasury, simply because um, 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 the accounting officers that have been involved in such cases um, have not indicated to National Treasury the need for, 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 for registration as, of suppliers as defaulters. However, um, in, in terms of restriction of suppliers on matters that emanated from internal processes in government, we have to date 56 um, 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 such companies that have been um, 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 blacklisted or restricted, and there has been in total 87 directors 
um, that has been um, on, that are on the default um, 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 on, on the restricted supplier list. Um, we we are on annual basis have suppliers and, and, and directors that fall off the list um, um, when their period of default position um, expires. Um, honourable chair, um, to date we've got 26 on one to three years, we've got 94 on four to six years, and we've got 23 on seven to, to 10 years in terms of supplies. What we found as discrepancies identified in the system at the moment is that accounting offices and authorities do not restrict suppliers for poor performance. Um, 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 suppliers, um, contracts are canceled um, and, 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 and those suppliers are, are, are given a leeway to, to, to just not perform for the contract that, that is canceled, but they resurface um, in other contracts or they tender for other work because they have not, um, the, the performance has not been recorded and such a restriction given to National Treasury um, for, for restriction. It is an area that we, 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 we are going to embark on based on what has been the trends in the current pronouncements um, in the Zondo Commission, in, in, in all other fora that we have been engaged in, where we are saying such non-performances um, must be thoroughly documented and such um, 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 issues be given to, to National Treasury. Um, for example, we have had issues um, 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 reported by ESCOM where officials were involved in, in corrupt activities with suppliers. If such um, matters um, are picked up, such suppliers need to be restricted from doing business with um, 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 organs of state um, for, for a certain period. Um, our, our legislative framework says for, for a period not less than five years, but not, and not more than 10 years. The company name change after restriction. Our search functions um, 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 at the moment, um, based on the um, register of companies and, and, and what um, the CSD central supplier database that National Treasury has, um, 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 do not pick up such changes in names. However, Chair, I have to qualify that if a supplier has been blacklisted under the name Molefefani and they change the name, um, we are able to pick up that name change when we interface with, with CIPC. However, if, if the directors go and open a different name altogether um, um, for a new entity, we are, not, we are unable to link the two suppliers. But if the same directors that has been blacklisted under a different name um, 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 of a supplier are the same directors that have opened a new company. When they input their ID numbers on CSD, the CSD will automatically reject those ID numbers, meaning that that company would not be registered on CSD for organs of states to, to utilize. So there is that double check um, system that, 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 that we've got on CSD with regards to that, where the directors do not list themselves on the new company, but they are active on the new company. CSD and CIPC would not pick up such names. And that is the problem where um, most of these companies resurface, um, most of these directors resurface in the companies that they are operating in and not as directors and not as owners of the companies. And we are unable to detect such 
um, in our current processes. Where organs of states become aware of such, um, we would want them to, to make us aware and we will follow through on, on, on such um, 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 a tip off. We do have whistleblowers in the system that also indicates to us that such suppliers, um, such directors have resurfaced and we do follow through um, 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 on, on, on matters, but there are very, very few matters um, that have been um, reported to us in, 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 that, in, in those instances. Um, the accounting office or accounting authorities um, do not inform national treasuries um, of cases of restriction. I, I, have, I have alluded to that in my presentation and where there has been a default um, judgment um, from the courts, we, we, we run short of um, such a notification sent to national treasury for national treasury to update their records. Um, if we do get from accounting officers um, and accounting authorities request for, for default um, um, or, or for restriction of suppliers, um, and we are not furnished with enough information to apply our minds and make sure that all the, the prescripts or the provisions in the prescripts um, have been followed. National Treasury um, um, is exposed to issues of litigation and we, we do um, request further information. And when we do ask repetitive questions that seeks clarification, you would find that restriction um, is not followed through by accounting officers um, I'm leaving National Treasury hanging and unable to restrict such suppliers. Um, where, where we have such issues in the future, we will then indicate to, 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 um, that to the officials, to executive um, that provides oversight that such matters are hanging and there needs to be closure with regards to that. Um, restricted suppliers respond to the invitation to bid um, even um, when they are under investigations for non-performance in other areas. By the time such restrictions come through, they have already been awarded contracts and therefore we cannot um, um, prohibit them from, from finalizing the work that they have been um, 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 contracted to do. Specifically when restriction has come through non-performance routes, but where there has been a default position we do um, 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 consult with the legal um, entities um, and say and ask them to make pronouncements with regards to such matters. Um, the wording used in the application to National Treasury to restrict, um, you would find, um, Honorable Chair, that accounting officers do not want to take accountability. Um, they just recommend to National Treasury. And National Treasury must only apply their minds based on the decision that's taken by the accounting officers. I cannot emphasize that more, that, that, that accounting officers must make a decision to restrict and National Treasury must then ensure that the prescripts have been followed properly for that restriction before they um, include that, that supplier or those um, um, owners of companies um, for restriction. Um, honorable Chair, honorable members, um, that, that concludes the presentation. Um, we may take questions, if, if any at all, um, from the honorable members. Okay, um, thank you very much, um, a, a team Chief Procurement Officer. Um, let's go to um, the um, SIU and then we will um, field questions um, jointly. Um, so that you may think. Advocate Ntibi, good morning and welcome and over to you. Uh, good morning. Good morning, Honorable Chair. <clears throat> uh, 
I greet you, Honorable Chair and the Honorable Members. Uh, I also greet the Deputy Minister, uh, DM Masondo, uh, the colleagues from uh, National Treasury and colleagues from SIU, and members of the public uh, attending. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, uh, for the opportunity for us uh, to present uh, to the Honorable Committee uh, in terms of the process that we that we follow uh, uh, to restrict uh, the the service providers. The my colleague, uh, and perhaps just to introduce my colleagues, uh, Honorable Chair, I'm joined by. A chief legal counsel, Dr. Wells, who uh, also uh, handles these matters. Mr. Maharaj, uh, the chief program portfolio officer, who is also involved in the process. Um, Mr. Lacheto, the chief national investigating officer. Uh, they actually are the originators uh, of this uh, blacklisting from the investigation side. Uh, and, uh, of course, Mr. Khanyaho, uh, who is the spokesperson for SIU. Uh, Honorable Chair, um, uh, uh, Mr. Maharaj will do the, 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 the detailed presentation. Um, we, we want to underscore what the Deputy Minister said and what the committee, this Honorable Committee always says, that we need to hold uh, those who are responsible for irregularities and wrongdoing to account. Uh, and this straddles across uh, all areas. Uh, whether it's public sector, private sector, uh, officials, uh, or even service providers. So this is one such area uh, where we really demonstrate that uh, where there is uh, irregularities, uh, we are geared up to ensure that there's consequence management. Uh, underscoring again uh, uh, what, the, what the Deputy Minister has already said, as we investigate, we pick up that there are corrupt activities, there are irregularities, there's underperformance of service providers, poor project management, either on the side of the officials or on the side of the service providers. And we make those findings, and those findings are then included as part of our uh, recommendations uh, for purposes of consequence management in this regard, restriction of service providers uh, which is blacklisting. Um, Honorable Chair, there is, there is a, a very recent and living example that I really want to make. Uh, uh, and that example is, is found in a ruling that was made by the Special Tribunal yesterday uh, in a matter, in a matter uh, between the SIU uh, and the Caledon River Properties and Magua Construction uh, in the matter colloquially referred to as the Bait Bridge border fence matter. Uh, in our investigation, we did find that uh, uh, there were def deficiencies in the quality of the fence. Uh, and, and this is a typical example where we will, uh, in fact, uh, my information from the Chief National Investigating Officer is that we have considered and submitted uh, proposals or recommendations for blacklisting in this case. Uh, with your permission, Honorable Chair, uh, just to quote from that ruling yesterday, because all of this 
all of this uh, uh, poor performance, corrupt activities, irregularities, uh, in terms of who is the loser uh, at the end, it's it really quite uh, 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 informative to hear what the judge said yesterday. The judge says, regrettably, the biggest loser is the state and the public. They have been deprived of the variety of public, social, and economic benefits that flow from a solid border track at the Bay Bridge border and are settled with a deficient border fence. Just to, just to really quote from that ruling. So it is really incumbent on us to ensure that as the courts pronounce themselves uh, as they do, us as officials have to make sure that uh, those results that settles the public with deficient products that could have been defended or prevented, that there is indeed consequence management. Um, I really thought I would uh, uh, just you know, quote that paragraph for purposes of really bringing it out there into the light, that we are conscious that uh, uh, this, this deficiencies uh, that, that settles uh, the, 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 the state and the public is as a result in many instances of uh, poor performance, poor project management uh, by, service, by service providers. And therefore, we, we, we then want to really be steadfast in the process of ensuring that they are blacklisted. Uh, and and uh, at this stage, Honorable Chair, uh, I would like to just hand over to my colleague, Mr. Maharaj, who will take the court uh, through uh, the Honorable Committee through the, the, our presentation. Um, as the committee would realize that uh, uh, there, is, there are striking similarities uh, in, in, in the presentation made by uh, our colleague from the National Treasury and our presentation, uh, simply because we're really looking at uh, the same process. Uh, we're pronouncing on the same blacklisting process. But of course, uh, National Treasury goes further uh, as, as they really are uh, ultimately uh, the custodian, you know, of uh, of this process and ensuring that uh, those who are blacklisted are listed, and that process is uh, is monitored appropriately. So, to that extent, I've indicated to my colleague that uh, uh, he might probably just highlight to the honourable committee where where it results in the repeating of what our colleague has said, and probably just highlight where there are differences. Mr. Maharaj, over to you, sir. Thank you very much. Good morning, Mr. Shangwa. Good morning, members of the committee. Good morning to those attending the session this morning. Um, please let me know whether I'm audible and whether my presentation is. Yes, it is. Thank you very much. It's for you, Mr. Maharaj. You may proceed presentation as I thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm going to deal very briefly um, uh, with the process of restriction of supplies and as Advocate Matindi has mentioned, I'm not going to dwell too much on what Mr. Pani has already covered in this, but I may just highlight uh, one or two points um, where we feel that we need to make it. I must mention at the outset, uh, when you look at this slide, that when we looked at the regulatory framework, we included the preferential policy. We are aware that the Supreme Court of Appeal declared the to be invalid and then suspended the declaration of 
Sorry, sir, we're losing, we're losing, Mr. Maharaj. Uh, yeah, I was about to say, Bab Maharaj, as Babu Samuel points out, we are losing. Eh? This, sorry, this, that's really... I hope you can hear me now. Uh, yeah, we can. I hope um, ESCOM has not visited you. No, 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 we don't have much. Okay, but we are losing. All right, proceed, sir. All right, if there is a problem, please let me know. I'll try and switch back. And so, as I've mentioned, um, we have included the preferential procurement policy framework regulation. Um, even though we are aware that the Supreme Court of Appeal declared those regulations to be valid and suspended the regulation of the sector. And that despite the matter being taken on the United States uh, Institutional Court of Appeal, that declaration, the SIU continued to make recommendations for uh, blacklisting up to that point. Mr. Fani has already made the point that blacklisting not only involves companies or CCs, but also the respective directors and members of the state. Chairperson, you can't hear anything. Yeah, uh, Bob Maharaj, I don't know. Eh? We, we really are battling. It, it's getting worse, Chef. It's getting worse. I think there's another connection in, in his background. If he can just turn off whatever it is yeah. in the background. Mr. Maharaj, if you can just speak closer to the to the to the laptop, please. Uh, perhaps it might it might get better. All right. Um, there is no other background noise in my office, so I'm connecting directly. Okay. Uh, just just speak to, into the mic. I have to speak speak up as, as much as I can. Um, let me know if that's if that's any better. Okay, for now you are audible. Right, so as I was saying, Mr. But Fani, maybe Mr. Maharaj is fine because there is proof of life. You can turn off your camera because the buffering may. Um, so, yeah, let's try that. All right. As Mr. Fani has already mentioned, the recommendations for blacklisting extend to not only to companies and to CCs, but to their directors and to their members as well. Um, Treasury has already dealt with the Prevention and Combating of Corrupt Activities Act and the mechanism provided for blacklisting uh, in terms of Section 12, so I'm not going to dwell on this slide. Um, likewise with the next slide. I'd like to take the committee to slide number six. Sorry, just let me go back here. The point to be made here is that Despite the uh, declaration of invalidity of the preferential procurement framework regulation, the SIU um, argues compellingly that one must look at the, this on a purposive interpretation. In other words, we believe, or we respectfully submit that it can be argued compellingly that the purpose of the triple PFR was to give effect to the constitutional imperative that the state should not be party to contracts involving misrepresentations in the broader sense. And we submit then that further support for this argument can be found in Treasury Regulation 16A 9.1, which deals with avoiding the abuse of a supply chain management of system. If our argument is then accepted and then applying this interpretation, the SIU then submits that any misrepresentations made by a tenderer in a bidding process would then open that tenderer up to being restricted by National Treasury, obviously after due process is followed. And the point we want to make here is that prior to the uh, triple PFR being declared invalid, the triple PFR was very 
um, specifically in terms of uh, what circumstances allowed for a Treasury to blacklist. And he spoke about misrepresentations regarding um, a tenderous triple BEE status or misrepresentations regarding subcontracting. And lastly, misrepresentations involving uh, local production of content. So our argument is that one must look at this purposively and one must extend those um, aspects of misrepresentations in a wider sense in order to protect the state from contracting with parties where any misrepresentations are made in the bidding process. So that then brings me to the next point, which is that if the argument is then accepted, the imposition of um, blacklisting or the imposition of a restriction on a supplier or on a service provider, it would amount to administrative action. And as such, the uh, requirements of fair and procedural administrative action in terms of the promotion of Administrative Justice Act must be followed because it would mean that to restrict a supplier would materially and adversely affect the rights or legitimate expectations of that supplier. And hence, such process must be procedurally fair. In this regard, the Promotion of Administrative Justice Act provides for the following requirements to be met. And essentially, it means the following, that the decision maker or the organ of state or the state institution must give adequate notice in writing to the affected tenderer of the nature and the purpose of the proposed administrative action. The state institution will then provide the affected tenderer a reasonable opportunity to make representations. So this means then that the state institution must invite that particular tenderer to submit representations as to uh, what its views are regarding the proposed action to be taken. The organ of state must also then provide a clear statement of the administrative action to the affected tenderer. In other words, what decision, what steps does the decision maker intend taking after the decision maker has applied his or her mind to the matter? And in this case, it would be uh, whether or not to request National Treasury to place the tenderer on the uh, database of restricted suppliers. And then lastly, the decision maker must inform the affected tenderer of that person's right to request reasons for any decision that must be that has been taken in terms of Pacha. Importantly, once the organ of state has satisfied the Pacha requirements, and if the organ of state is satisfied that a case has been made out to recommend that the affected party be placed on the database, that organ of state may again request Treasury to restrict the tenderer. An important point that I must make here is that the SIU in its recommendations for uh, blacklisting or for the restriction the SIU will only do so in a case where the SIU has, pursuant to its investigations, found that the evidence obtained in its investigation establishes grounds and justifies action under the provisions in the relevant legislative provisions for a recommendation to be made for uh, blacklisting or for a restriction. Chair, I seem to be missing a slide um, which deals with the number of referrals made to provincial and national departments. If you could just bear with me for a second and I will then pull that presentation up with the correct um, document in it.
Actually, I seem to have lost my presentation. I do apologize for that. But in a nutshell, what I can confirm is that the SIU has made 506 recommendations to various uh, provincial and national state institutions for uh, uh, supplies or service providers to be blacklisted. Now, when you look at the number of 506, and when you compare it to the 143 that National Treasury has reported on as appearing on the database of restricted supplies, National Treasury's concern is understandable when Treasury says that it appears that state institutions may not necessarily be um, following up on recommendations made for service providers or for suppliers to be restricted. And our view is that this is of concern, and one then would have to then interrogate what then became of those 506 uh, recommendations for the restriction or for the uh, blacklisting of service providers or suppliers. Chair, that then concludes the SIU's presentation, and we are available to, to take questions. Once again, I apologize for the omission of the slide dealing with the numbers, but again, I can confirm that it is 506 recommendations that the SIU has made for restrictions of service provided and supplies. Thank you. Yeah, yeah no, that is fine. Um, that you, thanks for the presentation, but uh, I think that we... We, we, we need that slide. So I, I suggest that you look for it. I think the breakdown is very, yes. very important. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So can can you use the time to to on, find it? Because you're going to be... On, honorable Chair. Yes, Honorable Hadabe. I think on the presentation that was um, shared with us, the, the breakdown is there on slide yeah. 10. Yeah, I want yeah. it, I want it like, flighted. That's what I yeah. mean. I wanted flighted. Oh, oh yeah. yes, okay. Cool. Because you, you know, um, National Treasury may not have sight of that. Yes. And so for sharing purposes. Um, so that's so what I'm saying, because it's got the sharing rights to find it. Um, Honorable Chair, uh, with your yeah, permission, uh, and, and thank you very much for that. Uh, once more, I really apologize for this, uh, this glitch. Uh, we will definitely not repeat it again. Um, uh, Mr. Maharaj or Mr. Khatu, if you could please just help. Uh, it's important that we project uh, those, uh, those numbers because they are really broken down in terms of provinces and so on. Uh, uh, Honorable Chair, if you can give us uh, probably just a minute, we'll, we'll, we'll find it. Thanks. No, no, it's, it's, it's no transmission. Um, that's why it's just that so it can be found in the yes, meantime. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right. Let us... Uh, DM, thank you very much for your, um, uh, your, your input um, in your opening remarks uh, the, the, this morning and to the Acting Chief Procurement Officer, Advocating TB and uh, Bab Maharaj. So colleagues, let's field the questions then um, and then we will be good to go. Colleagues, over to you. Um, Honorable Liz, ah. So good to have you, uh, Mazamba. And I know that uh, you are the victim of load shedding this morning. Um, so, yeah, we seem to be interchanging in that regard. Right. Uh, Honorable Liz and then Honorable Suisa, in that order. Good morning, Mr. Chairman. Um, and uh, thank you for your kind words. I know you're a politician and you may have had other thoughts about me being present or not being present, but we won't, uh, we won't. Challenge. Oh, we would never cast aspersions <laughs> on you. <laughs> All right. Sure. Oh, 
So yeah, the, the the electricity came on four minutes after ten. So I'm I'm back online now. So thank you very much, and thank you to the uh, National Treasury and to the SIU. Um, I, uh, I I yeah. Well, the National Treasury is a long time since I dealt with them, but uh, my experience has been always been a good one. Um, not so much with the ministry, but. Uh, let me just go to you, Advocate Motivi, and 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 it's topical, and you've you've expressed some very strong views about it, and quite correctly so. I think the court ruling yesterday was a very big step forward, but it's just a step, unfortunately, because the. Um, it's it's it has, and perhaps you can you can express it more clearly to me, but it doesn't appear to hold anyone accountable other than the the contractor. And so we're talking about blacklisting today, and we know that that same contractor has, in any event, been given lots of other work um, all over the place, and 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 um, probably won't feel it too badly to um, to repay the, the profits. Um, but actually, the whole, the whole job was simply a waste of money, a complete waste of money. It has not achieved uh, what it was meant to achieve. And, and so that brings me then to the point I'm driving at, is that the court has made a very um, good ruling in, in that sense of recovering some money. But what about the officials who were responsible, A, for engaging a project which was not properly conceived and, and not then supervising the project to ensure that value for money was, was obtained? Um, who are they? Have you got names of them? And and what what are your recommendations so that we can also follow up with the department? I know the minister probably is unlikely to resign as she should, but at least the officials we can hold accountable. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. All right, um, let's take. I think, colleagues, maybe if we just, I think we're good for time. Take two hands at a time, and then we can come back. So let me take Honourable Suez and then Honourable Simon, Honourable Hatebi in the next round. If you're good with that. Yeah. Thank you, Chair, and thank you for the opportunity that you are giving me. Uh, Chair, I think most of my questions have been answered in the presentation because I was making notes as the presentation goes on. But what I want to know is that what happens to the accounting officers if it's found that they have turned a blind eye to an appointment of a restricted supplier? Because you'd find that the supplier is given a tender to do something. And uh, let's say, as the presenter said, that the directors would not appear, but later on after the supply chain has given a certain supplier a tender to provide the certain services, and then it suffices that certain directors are already there. So what happens to the officials that actually turn a blind eye? Because I heard the presenter say that 
you find that the officials do not want to take accountability. They send their cases to National Treasury. So what does National Treasury do to those uh, um, officials that do not want to take accountability? And uh, we know we always find ourselves in, in the midst of you find that a tender has already or services have already been acquired from a certain person under an Alice name or they change the name of the company. And then you, you find that the directors are still the same. And I think there's a loophole in, in the whole legislature that something needs to be done as to, to make sure that such people, whether there must be a system put in place to say whether they are on the surface or not. There must be a certain system that needs to be put in place, which means that somewhere that, that we need to look into the legislation because I see a lot of loopholes and it shows, it seems as if the National Treasury becomes frustrated about the whole thing whereby you'd find that suppliers or the directors that fall under that supplier uh, are actually have been restricted or have been blacklisted in the past in, in certain areas of doing work with government. But at the later stage, you'd find that those same directors, the same people, they appear under another name of another company, whether private or public, then you'd find that and I would, as, as, as the presenter from National Treasury has said, I would refer it back to the officials that do not want to take accountability and refer things to National Treasury. So what's the standpoint of National Treasury when it comes to those officials? Thank you, Chair. Okay, thank you very much, um, Honorable Liz and Honorable Swiss. Let's get responses to that. And then Honorable, so Honorable Hatebe will be next off the bat. Uh, Honorable Chair, uh, if you permit, I can uh, respond uh, specifically to the question uh, asked by Honorable Lees uh, relating to the important ruling that, that was made yesterday uh, against the uh, service providers who uh, really tried their best to avoid uh, being held to account, firstly by starting to challenge the jurisdiction of the special tribunal, saying it's not a high court, and the tribunal found that it's got the status of a high court and it can rule on their contract. The contract was firstly set aside, so yesterday was specifically uh, around what is called just and equitable ruling in terms of determining uh, what has to be paid back. So, in terms of holding the officials to account, Honorable Lees, uh, I can read further. Uh, paragraph 50 of yesterday's ruling goes further uh, to say, further corrective measures lie in holding the officials who designed, approved, and implemented the Bay Bridge Border Fence Project and its related procurement process, and those who failed to take the appropriate steps to enhance the integrity of the fence to account. So the court is clear that the officials 
and all those related have to have to be held to account. And as part of the outcomes of our investigations, uh, and we presented before to the Honourable Committee that we have referred uh, officials uh, for disciplinary process. So as part of our follow-up to ensuring that uh, those are acted upon, we will follow up to get the status from the department. So it is clear that uh, no one should be spared. Uh, the, the, the ruling, of course, goes specifically against the service providers that uh, they cannot benefit, uh, uh, particularly in the, from a profit perspective, uh, from, uh, from this irregular contract. But we, it's very clear. The court, the court also clearly says the officials have to be held to account. So, so we will follow up uh, Honorable Liz and Honorable Committee to ensure that uh, those referrals we made for disciplinary process are processed and that are acted upon. Uh, with regards to the other question, um, uh, if, if, if my colleagues at the National Treasury would probably take that part, but I mean, the question was what happens to the HODs or accounting officers who ignore the companies who are restricted is probably part of the process. If I were to offer just a view before our colleagues come in, is that uh, and, and when, whenever, uh, probably during the tendering process, there should be an indication where, uh, where it, it is clear uh, whether uh, the service provider has been blacklisted or not. The, the, the list that our colleague uh, at National Treasury uh, talks about, there should be a process where those kind of lists are surfaced uh, to the accounting officers so that they can check uh, the service providers against those uh, those lists. And it, if it becomes clear that they've ignored uh, those lists, uh, then of course it calls for uh, for consequence management. But I'll leave it here. That's really just offering a view. Uh, my colleague, uh, uh, Mr. Molife Isaac Fani, if you can probably assist. Sure, thank you very much. Good morning, Chair, and good morning, honorable members. Good morning, Mr. Matibi and colleagues. Let me let me start. Malefe will come in just now. <clears throat> on 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 Civisa is right in terms of you know us getting frustrated most of the time when when the suppliers who have been uh, you know information firstly may not be coming through in the way that we expected, and secondly when uh, you know we we, we pick up that uh, suppliers who have been restricted have been processed through the process and we have to account. What the MFMA and PFMA does, and which is something that we, we have to raise here, is that it places responsibility and accountability to the accounting officer. Um, and, and, it, and, and, and as a result, there's no reason why departments uh, have to actually throw the ball back in our court when it clearly is in the court of the service provider. As an accounting officer, I'll give you an example. When a tender is advertised, before an award is made, the bid adjudication committee, the bid evaluation committee will do all of the checks. They will indicate, and by the time it comes to me, it's expected that what I sign off, firstly, the key questions will be asked. Is the suppliers blacklisted, yes or no? Is this uh, price okay, yes or no? Was the committee processed? I mean, the process, was it done fairly and squarely? Yes or no, before I sign off. 
But the reality is that you find that uh, what's happening in departments, we don't have control over national treasury. We only pick it up when the central supplier database sometimes kicks off the suppliers who are listed clearly because that interlinkage must be there. And it's sometimes frustrating. So I'm just echoing the same sentiments echoed by Honorable Siwisa that from where we sit, sometimes it's a bit uh, disconcerting that some uh, accounting officers uh, are not taking full responsibility uh, when the PFMA gives the responsibility. And as a result, agreeing with Advocate Mutibi that then consequence management should be taken and the accounting authority then must act, or sorry, executive authority or accounting authority must act. But Mulifa, you may come in in terms of maybe directly some other comments that, that are critical and necessary. Thank you, Honorable Thank you, DJ. Maybe just to close off um, 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 your, your, your comment is that in instances where the accounting officer has started the process, the National Treasury requires further information to effect um, um, restriction, and, and, and such an accounting officer is not coming forth with um, the information. National Treasury would not close the matter until such accounting officer has actually provided us with the information that we need. If I may also respond to um, Honorable Suisa's um, comment um, with regards to suppliers reappearing, um, I can reassure um, 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 Honorable Members that CSD um, certainly, um, as soon as a supplier is restricted, um, we flag that supplier on CSD together with the director's ID numbers. Um, um, if a supplier resurfaces in another name with the same directors, such directors will invalidate the registration of that supplier on the CSD because CSD will not accept the ID numbers of, 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 of the directors of that new um, um, supplier. Um, and therefore, if that supplier is not registered on CSD, um, it, it, is, it, it will not be allowed to um, 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 do, do um, any work or, or provide goods and services to government, um, it is regulated um, in that fashion, um, honorable members. Thank you very much. All right, thank you very much. Babu, Solomon, honorable Hatteva, Amtolash have noted you. Thank you very much, honorable chairperson, and uh, um, good morning to the deputy minister and the DG uh, for treasury and the head of SIU and uh, his team. The, the presentation is uh, uh, deeply uh, pointing a finger um, at, at the accountability uh, of the accounting officers, um, and it might extend to executive authorities. Uh, looking into the, uh, the stats provided by um, the National Treasury uh, on the same matter, you'd find out there's a total of 143 uh, restricted suppliers. And you look into uh, the stats as provided by uh, SIU uh, from the SIU's investigations and their outcomes, uh, the total of 506 uh, uh, referrals uh, to various departments. And there's a heavy uh, referral uh, looking into the same statistics, uh, which I point at a uh, Gauteng, KZN, uh, Free State, Libombo, and the others would follow. And, and uh, if, if we were to just take that slide alone, it begins to confirm what Treasury says, 
that the buck stops uh, with the accounting officers uh, who uh, somewhat fail uh, to take active steps uh, on these uh, companies uh, at the time uh, when such, such acts have been identified. And, and therefore, uh, uh, at, at some stage I've, I've occupied that, uh, that, that office. I, I know the frustration which uh, a treasury faces uh, to uh, make uh, the culprits uh, account on these matters because they, they individually uh, remi- remain uh, somewhat uh, accountable uh, for these uh, uh, for these acts, but but as I recall, there would there would at times uh, come up a big file when when an accounting officer is appointed, a big file which uh, carries uh, the details uh, on the delegated uh, powers to such uh, accounting officers by treasury. Um, those powers relate to the accounting officer responsibilities, uh, which is indicative of the fact that when there is failure uh, to meet such a a prescripts uh, as required and signed off by the minister or the MEC of treasury in a province, uh, such a delegation uh, would have to uh, somewhat be under question. It might be that uh, there would be a stage where we would uh, ask when there has been any time that there's been a withdrawal of a delegation uh, to any accounting officer through a failure uh, to account on the basis uh, of such uh, delegations as signed off by the minister or the ministry uh, of uh, treasury at a particular time. Because this is an indication of failure. You see, when you deal with matters of procurement, it's not only rents and cents. At times, it's about life. Those who cross our borders illegally, they end up uh, committing uh, very serious crimes, which lead to loss of limb or life. And in that instance, the responsibility would have been in the failure uh, of uh, the particular authority to observe the specificity of safety uh, at a particular time. I'm just making a reference to uh, that uh, uh, border fence, uh, which has been poorly constructed. It might be the road, it might be the bridge, uh, which falls off and many lives are lost uh, during that time. So, so the summary of judgment carries the weight and points the finger to those accounting officers, uh, which means thereof, uh, maybe it might be necessary for treasury to take note of that failure and probably to put up steps to follow strictly uh, on those areas which are relating to uh, delegating such uh, an accounting authority uh, to that administrator uh, at the level uh, of a particular uh, department to do the right thing at the right time, to observe the law and to take these uh, matters seriously as they uh, perpetually move towards the substandard uh, provision of necessary uh, uh, services. Uh, the question then, uh, which uh, goes uh, along with uh, with such, uh, is that uh, how far 
has treasury steeped towards uh, ensuring that those who carry that file, those who have been assigned that uh, accounting authority, is there a way that would make them as treasury accountable uh, for such from time to time? And, and secondly, uh, there would be what, what is termed the accountability uh, signed uh, authority between the, uh, the executive authorities and treasury from time to time, whether there is observation of such in the failure, uh, which we see glaringly in our eyes in terms of this item uh, in front of us. This might be a bit lighter. Uh, we've been uh, sitting here, uh, fortunately today there is, a, there is the DG, uh, welcome DG, and there is a deputy minister uh, from treasury. Hey man, we have, we have, we have, we have been having uh, acting, acting head uh, of procurement from treasury. When are you appointing uh, in the uh, final uh, instance, someone who's going to be permanent in that position? It has been time that we have had that position uh, as a te temporarily uh, acting position. Thank you very much, uh, Chair. Well, thank you very much, Babsama. Um, can I request that uh, those who have got the sharing rights to be very careful um, about um, <clears throat> what they put up? Um, we were just now on a screen on um, Apple Music. Um, can we please maintain the decorum of the meeting? Just be careful what you put up on the screen. Right, Honorable Hatebe. Uh, And thank you, Honorable Chairperson, and uh, take this opportunity to also welcome the Deputy Minister, um, Dr. Masondo, um, the DG, the entire staff complement of the National Treasury. We also welcome the head of the unit, um, Advocate Mutibi, colleagues, comrades, and fellow compatriots. Chair, let, before I start, let me thank Advocate Mutibi for sharing the outcomes of the Bay Bridge saga. Uh, Chair, I think this once again, it demonstrates the importance of SCOPA and its role in ensuring that, Chair, we root out corruption and those that ought to be held accountable are held accountable as such, and we expedite the consequence management. Clearly, our visit or oversight to Bait Bridge was not in vain, Chair. And I think we need to insist from this meeting, Chair, that uh, SIU expedited the process of consequence management uh, into those officials that have been implicated as having contributed to the wrongdoing, Chair. I, I think we, we need to be clear and unequivocal uh, that that washing line that is purported to be a fence ought to be removed and replaced with a proper fence. And those that are responsible, the cost should be incurred by those people. We don't need that uh, washing line. Chair. We need a proper fence. And as Scopa, I think we are vindicated in our quest to root out corruption. I thought I should stress that point chair, when it comes to uh, this matter of the Bay Bridge especially the affected officials. 
Thank you once again, Advocate Mutibi. Even though in this committee, it is not our practice to applaud the fish for swimming. But in this case, I think a credit must be given where credit is due. Now, Chair, let me go back to the issue at hand and explain, Chair, our expectation as this matter came to our attention. We were concerned, Chair, as it is evident from the number of referrals, which is 506, vis-a-vis um, the restricted cases. We wanted National Treasury and SIU to assist and tell us what are the challenges that are confronting National Treasury to move at a slow pace in restricting these companies. What could be the challenges? What are the bottlenecks? If there are any lacuna in the system, what have they done to address such a lacuna or a loophole? That I did not get, Chair, and I'm still interested in finding out. Um, since the saga of uh, PPE uh, fraud and corruption, there were several instances where SIU made referrals. Some of these referrals date back to two years, 12 months, and the presentation indicated 14 days that must be given to service provider, five days. Yet we were finished with the information that give a reflection of cases sitting with National Treasury for more than 24 months. We need a clear understanding. Why do you have cases in your possession that are staying in your drawers, wherever you keep your cases for more than the prescribed time as your presentation has alluded to the procedures that ought to be followed. Now, coming to the next question, Chair, from the presentation, um, they reflected that indeed contractors don't take lightly of the process of restriction as such, they often go to court to challenge uh, such restriction. I'd like to get a sense of how many contractors at that were investigated and finally came to a conclusion that they need to be restricted as per the evidence before uh, those that were investigating. How many of those contractors went to court? Subsequently, their cases were successful and how many went to court and the court upheld the decision for, from National Treasury to restrict. And those that were successful, what were the common reason for, those, for National Treasury to lose those cases? How many cases were lost due to non-adherence to procedural fairness as outlined in the presentation? And what has been done with those official or accounting officers who have failed to adhere to a procedural fairness chair? I think today we wanted to get those details and those steps taken and people responsible for ensuring that such referrals are adhered to and procedural fairness is adhered to. And if there are any who have not 
been uh, 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 doing their work and who have been lazy in ensuring procedural fairness, we need those names and consequence management must be implemented expeditiously into those officials. So we need uh, uh, those uh, uh, responses, Chair. And I'm sure it is there available at the disposal of the National Treasury and SIU can assist in, in, in this regard. For now, Chair, let me stop there and gather my thoughts in terms of my notes. I've got a lot of questions. Uh, let me pause there for now. Thank you, Chair. Okay, no, that's fine. Let's get responses to that. Um, and then, Mam Tolashe, you and Honorable List, you will um, come in. So, responses to Bob Somio and Honorable Latiabi. Thank you, Chair. <clears throat> Chair, just to respond to Honorable Hadel, you know, we, uh, it could be the expectation of the committee, but that's, Chair, that's not what you had in your letter to us requested us to do, a list of names and cases that were successful and, and that were not successful. That, that's, that was not part of the brief in terms of what we expected to do. We were, you know, the, the, the letter is clear in terms of process, and that's why we focused on the process that we that we follow and what will it take and explaining that and obviously giving you high level, but not the details that Honorable Khadebe is looking for, which I guess obviously we will should be able to gather. But but again, let me take you back to the process. In terms of the process that we follow, uh, it's not a process that is led by us in terms of we, we 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 have to be informed the work must be done by the department and, and the presentation is clear in terms of the process um, and 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 therefore accounting authorities and executive authorities and accounting officers have got a fundamental role that they play in terms of blacklisting and in terms of sanctions etc the law at, at the, the, the law as it currently is does not give the national treasury sanctioning powers at all, um, and and that's one of the criticisms that um, you know we, we you know not not only to treasury but to the whole of the state from from the time we we wrote the PFMA in 1999, 1999 that the PFMA we, 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 the treasury does not have teeth in terms of what we are able to do insofar as sanctioning powers are concerned. Or, or we can only recommend, we can only expect that the executive authority and accounting authority may act in the case of public entities and state-owned companies because there are boards that will act when, when a wrongdoing has been found out. Then there obviously are certain responsibilities that in law that the PAs, I mean the FM, the, 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 the SIU has and also or law and other law enforcement agencies which, which have to happen if there's issue of criminality, which in the course of investigation and the cause for the reasons why in the first place a company has to be blacklisted. It only ends there. So the, that delineation of responsibility is quite, quite very critical in the way we exercise this responsibility in the Treasury. Because clearly there are loopholes in the way the current legislative framework is written and in, on these matters and also in terms of the regulations that we can only follow. So if the committee is asking us as to what have we done with a certain accounting officer 
who has acted in a particular way. I, I can't answer that. Uh, you know, I can't tell the committee what we have done insofar as consequence management for that particular accounting authority or accounting officer because I don't have, the, there's no power given to the National Treasury to, to do that. So the, 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 the issue in law there is quite clear and quite critical. So I just thought we, we have to mention that. And, and, and the lacuna, you know, is, 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 is borders on these things, uh, or, you know, in, in, term, in terms of how I understand Honorable Khadeb. And, you know, and again, I, I, you know, as we are preparing for this, I was asking the team, I said, what is important is also to know that uh, some agency in the state will identify certain wrongdoings. We will bring that to the attention of the uh, said executive authority. And if that's not, action is not taken, then obviously consequence management across the system must be applicable. But we, what we cannot obviously not do is, is where I'm seated, uh, uh, threaten the accounting officer with, with certain sanctions because the National Treasury does not have in the current legal framework the, the, the responsibility and, and, and the authority to act. It's a, it's, it's, it's a flaw, call it that, in our system, and, and that's how unfortunately things are at because then uh, we will be taken on task if we exceed our powers and functions as a national treasury, as, 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 as you can imagine. Honorable Somio, I think you, you mentioned a, a number of things that are related, but of course, um, Mr. Malefe can come. But I think when the deputy minister started, uh, he did indicate the reasons, I mean, the process, uh, you know, and indicated that we had interviews. Uh, the committee made recommendations on the two positions and the process obviously unfolding until finally a cabinet appoints. But at least a good indication of the process to fill the vacancy is that interviews were held, and uh, we were part of that. And then so finally that a recommendation was made, and then the process to finalize the appointment is ongoing currently. Molefe, and, and you can come in. Thank you, Gigi. Um, I think you covered quite um, um, all the matters that were raised. Um, besides two um, honorable members, I have to indicate that at the current moment, there are no pending um, matters for restriction that are sitting with National Treasury. If they are, they are fresh ones, um, but the, um, um, all the matters have been resolved. If there are instances where there are disputes, such um, disputes mechanisms um, are being followed, but um, it's not that there isn't any movement. I am only aware of one matter that's disputed. Um, other than that, we are, as National Treasury, have resolved all the matters that have been referred to us. Um, I, I think that's, that was one area that, that, that the DJ did not touch on. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, honorable Tolasha and Honorable Liz, and then Honorable Latte, we will come back. Okay. Chair, can you hear me? Yes, um, Honourable Man, there we can hear you fight. I'm not sure what's happening with the, the connection of the chair. Oh, okay. Thank yes, you. Ma. 
Yes. Uh, no, I want to come in on the... All right. On the response from Treasury in terms of um, what then becomes a, a role of Treasury when accounting officers are not... Uh, um, carrying their obligation and uh, their responsibility to ensure that there is nothing which is procured from those that are affected in terms of uh, being uh, sanctioned or otherwise found to be corrupt as service providers. And the DG seems to be helpless when it gets to that, and I do not understand. Because even if it's not for the PFMA, but in the PFMA itself, uh, with the delegations, uh, uh, powers uh, that the National Treasury has, and uh, 2C number 2 and 2B number 2, if ever that's which you have uh, given an obligation to any of the accounting officer is outside the prescripts of the law, then it means that you did not perform the assigned duty to the level which is expected of you as an accounting officer because accounting officers cannot come back and say there is no law I have breached. You have breached the law if ever you performed duties outside out of your prescript and you did not carry the obligation to ensure that the people whom you are allowing to access the coffers of the state are the very same people that have been blacklisted on the other entity. And therefore, failure for whatever department entity, which was given money by the custodian of the purse of the state, which is national treasury, it cannot be that national treasury cannot do anything because you are the custodian of the purse. And once you give the responsibility to an accounting officer to look after the purse on your behalf and they fail to carry out their duties. Therefore, they are in breach of the law. It doesn't have to be said in the, in the, in the PFMA. Otherwise, we'll have to list all the transgressions in the PFMA, which the transgressions cannot be listed as, as it is. Otherwise, we are going to be sitting with the loopholes all over. It's enough for you when you have entrusted an, author, an, an accounting official to perform the duties which are assigned to them by the constitution. The constitution did not assign them a duty of not ensuring that um, directors of a company which is blacklisted are not found in a new service uh, provider company. So it cannot be that national treasury cannot do any other thing. The second part, of it is that it's criminal and therefore it cannot be that if internally you're failing to do something there cannot be a criminal procedure that then follows. Thank you Chair. Right. Mamdolasha. Thanks Honorable Mentor. All right. Uh, Honorable Liz. Ah, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, yeah, uh, 
and it's encouraging. Thank you, Advocate Motibi, that that the consequences for officials was in the in the ruling, and it's good to hear, and that you're going to do your bit. But, Mr. Chairman, I think we must also do our bit, but that's probably for a different discussion. Um, Mr. Chairman, I was going to ask about the Chief Procurement Officer, and and so thank you to to. Um, for that question um, from Honourable Somnio, um, it really has been a long time, and uh, and yeah, we we miss Kenneth Brown, but uh, I do hope that the recommendation you have made, Dondo, is is a good one. Um, but we we will wait and see. And good to see you too. ask you a question which is related in a sense to the work of Scopa but not directly to to this issue of blacklisting but we've done a lot of of, of um, diversions this morning so Donda the the um, the disposal of assets um, I'm not I'm really battling to understand state assets I'm talking about how how this should be handled in terms of law. But let me ask you specifically, the agreement to dispose of 51% of the shares of SAA to a Takatsu consortium, has that, that deal been approved by National Treasury? And in, and in order to do that, I assume you would have seen it and 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 that all the proper procedures have been followed. Thanks, Mr. Chairman. Let's get thanks. Let's get res responses to that. And Honourable Hatebe will come in, and then I think we will bring it to an end uh, there. Thank you very much. Uh, good to see you, Mr. Lee, too, again after so many years. But I see every time Chair Mr. Lee sees me, he sees SAA and the challenges. <laughs> and Honorable Mende has always made sure that I, I perform my functions, and I'm, I'm happy for that guidance, and thank you very much. I, 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 when I was saying, Honorable Mende, I, I'm not saying we are, we are powerless per se, uh, but I was talking about sanctioning an accounting officer in in. in or discipline an accounting officer, you know that. But in terms of other powers and functions that we are there, whether from the constitution or the PFMA, we have to exercise. We have to be inquisitive in the questions in terms of the quality of spend, and 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 if the quality of spend is not up to speed, what we normally do, and then this we do all the time in other committees, in various portfolio committees, in the appropriations committee, whereby we indicate. When we talk spending, uh, challenges and concerns that we have, and on, uh, and also what we normally do in our section quarterly reports that we publish, we outline certain key challenges that uh, we our, our analysts are picking up as engaged with departments. That's ongoing, and we have to continue to do that with. Uh, obviously, we'll, we'll have to, you know, uh, interpret what you say and what you are asking, give the guidance you are giving us here in terms of 
what obligations, other obligations do we have that we have to ensure that we, 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 we obviously, uh, you know, implement. And I guess the colleagues are on the call and, and I've got a number of What do you say? Because I think you've been consistent on that matter, honorment, and I think we have to obviously take cue of what you're saying. I will certainly look at 2C again and 2B. Um, is it 2C or 2B? Because I was trying to check the PFMA directly. Um, I'm not sure which, which legislation you're referring to, but we'll, we'll get back to that. But in terms of disposal of assets, uh, this is a process, and unfortunately, for the first time in many years, I will not be able to answer you at this time, Chair. But I commit, I commit uh, to responding in writing to the Chair, uh, to you, Chair, through you to the committee on this particular matter around the disposal of the 51% of SAA and the process to date. My, my, I want my answer to be complete in terms of process, in terms of the when we were approached, in terms of what letters we exchange between ourselves and the Department of Public Enterprises, and we'll have to make that uh, knowledge come into. And if need be, Chair, we will be more than happy and ready to come and appear before you on this matter with the Department of Public Enterprise and account on how the process unfolded to a point where eight decisions. I, I you know, humbly request, Chair, that we'd be given an opportunity to, to respond to in writing. And after that, we can, at any given point in time, be ready to come with you and with the relevant team on my side to, to respond to the chair and to the committee. Thank you, Chair. I don't know if, Mulefa, you want to come to Honorable uh, you know, Mentor's point around the account, uh, obligations generally that we have especially on, 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 on blacklisted companies. Okay, um, when it comes to blacklisting, I think we, we, we have um, explicitly expressed um, our duties and responsibilities. And I've also indicated that if a matter is open, we will not close it until um, it is fully completed. Um, we also look at um, issues of rehabilitation of suppliers before we, we delist them um, to ensure that um, we do not reintroduce um, delinquent suppliers back into the system. Um, so, um, 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 there are processes involved for, for before we, we delist, um, 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 depending on the period that was imposed for restriction of, of a supplier. Thank you, um, um, DJ. Thank you, Chair. All right. All right, uh, DJ. It's, 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 it's not a very Yeah, muted, Chen. Yeah, Charman. Charman, Tata, Take off your screen, Chairperson.
to make Uma Zambane Honorable Liz happy. Um, and so he is happy with your response. I think it is now just a Now we're just hearing about happy people, Chair, we, we can't hear you at all. All right, that is strange. All right, I was saying, DJ, Honorable Lise is happy with uh, that response. Um, it's just a matter of determining a time frame as to when you will be able to submit the comprehensive response that you spoke about. Um, I see Honorable Hartdevil, and you've got your hands up. Are those historic hands or are they current hands? Current, Chair. Okay, you may proceed then in that order, Honorable Hartdevil and Honorable Mente, and then we will bring it to an end in that regard. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, I am confused, and perhaps I need clarity from the SIU in relation to these 506 referrals, because when National Treasury responded, they are indicating to us there are no pending cases in front of them. Where are these cases uh, located and what's happening with those cases? I'm working under the assumption that um, there's a central database where everything that is done by national departments and provincial departments or provincial treasury in terms of tender award uh, gets to be fed into that central database and the movement will be monitored, acted upon as such. So I would like to get a clarity from um, the SIU in relation to these referrals, National Treasury is telling us clearly that there are no pending cases of restriction in at their doorstep. But the second question, Chair, that I would want to ask, um, as indicated by the National Treasury, that they don't have all cases in their possession where persons have been convicted by court of law and the restriction were imposed. Um, and perhaps you excuse my ignorance, but it is my understanding, Chair, that when courts delivers judgment, whoever is responsible to act or sanction such sentence, for example, when a warrant of arrest is issued, a police minister or SEPs will be informed to act upon and follow that warrant of arrest. Now, in this case, when the court uh, delivers a judgment that this person or this company must be restricted from doing business with the state, don't they inform those that amend to enforce and impose restriction to act as such. If they don't, um, that will be strange. Over and above the accounting officer and accounting authority bringing matters to the attention of the National Treasury, 
does National Treasury have uh, ways and means of ensuring that all cases where court has pronounced such cases are dealt with? In other words, what have you done to ensure that the lacuna that currently exists or the loophole that exists in you not having all the cases uh, that speaks directly to you that matter its address? What have you done to ensure that such takes place so that we avoid those that have been found guilty to continue to benefit unduly even when the court has ruled otherwise in terms of their conduct and behavior moving forward in relation to the state? Um, I'm, I'm very interested in, 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 in that, Chair. But secondly, um, I would want in the future, Chair, to really get the sense of where the accounting officers have failed to deal with this matter procedurally as prescribed by the presentation. Thank you. All right, Honorable Mente, is this a new hand or a historic hand? No, it's a new hand, Chair. All right, so. Yeah, Chair, I have one question which uh, part of it Honorable Hatebe uh, asked about. But there was a meeting we had early last year with National Treasury where we spoke about the central procurement system and we promised that it's underway. I want to check how far is that system because it will help us to arrest a lot of these activities that take place where individuals uh, duplicate documents and just change the name of the company. So I wanted to know that, Chef. Thank you. All right, let's get uh, those final responses. DJ. No, thank you, Chef. Ah, no, we're struggling to hear you. I was saying, DJ, the SAA responses, uh, 14 days, and then responses now to Honorable Hadeb and Honorable Ment. Thank you, that, Chair. Uh, thank you. We know the 14 days will certainly comply to that. Honorable Hadeb, I think, look, we, we, you, you are right. There's no mechanism currently that is in place that I can know as Treasury what the decisions of the courts are. If there's a court sitting currently in Northern Cape and, uh, and in Pumalanga at the same time, I wouldn't know. And there are many such, if you can imagine. But one expects that maybe it's something that we need to relook in terms of bringing and what the role of the provincial treasury is, because they are closer to the action in a province, they're closer to the action in a particular municipality, and the issues will be will be very relevant. So, uh, and as much as we control uh, the, the list and, and the and the and the and the, and the um, 
and the register of these blacklisted companies, how and how we have to interact on these matters with provincial treasuries as a way forward, as a new lesson that clearly you are outlining to us uh, and that the new challenges and the new cases as they develop and they become many, by the way, because when, when we perceived this legislation back then and we wrote some of these treasury instructions and instruction notes, we would not have taken many of the things that we are experiencing today into account. So a constant review, constant check of these things and, and, and new ways of, of, of doing business will should be the order of the day. I take that and I take guidance, Chair, and, and that's the value of this engagement today because uh, clearly there are so many loopholes in our current arrangements uh, and, and on the process itself. Because in an honorable moment is right, if we're waiting for an accounting officer to come and report himself or herself, that won't happen. And, 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 and so, so we have to find a way uh, and the mechanisms within departments and how we interact with, with, the, with the departments and the, and the organs of state on this matter. So I don't have a response for you in terms of what we're going to do, but all I have is that we will have to leave this issue up, Honorable Hadem, and take it forward in a manner that will enhance the process and enhance accountability and also ensure that action is taken where it's due uh, and, and, and also revise our processes. When an entity like the SIU has done all the investigations and has issued a report that suggests that uh, Andrew Squared, uh, which is Muti, uh, my other name, Mr. Mutivi, is Andrew, so you, you and I share the names. If Andrew Squared PTY LTD uh, has been identified by the SIU as having flouted the law and, and, and having done certain things, immediately, without Malefe and the CPO waiting for a, that department to act, we must have the authority as treasurer to immediately sanction that company. And, and so the current legislative arrangements and process doesn't allow us that. We will have to wait, then wait for the Andrew Squared, which department they did the work, and that department have to inform us to be listed, and half the time you won't find that. So I think this conversation, as I say, calls for us to do work differently and to be innovative and in a new way and new instructions that you must think about how we're going to manage the blacklisting process forward. I, I take that. And, and, and the, Malefa can talk about, uh, you know, the process, we, we're not talking on our mentor. We didn't indicate that we want to go back and, and centralize procurement. No, I don't think that, that was the intention of centralizing procurement because it was going to be cumbersome and we don't want to go back to the old state tender board days. But what we're able to do, we're able to look at lessons. There are certain, uh, uh, you know, processes and Malefic can go into detail with talking about transversal nature of certain contracts and certain commodities and how we're able to do that, including uh, the, 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 the central supply database and how it functions and how we're able to also deal with certain things whilst we continuously modernize our, 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 our procurement process. Monifa, you may want to maybe talk a little bit about the point that Honor Mentor was asking us about, which is essentially, she was mentioning the central procurement system, but that's not what the intention was. Maybe we can talk both to 
your day-to-day and how you go about with the CSD and also uh, the transversal contracts. Thank you. Thank you, Liam. Um, um, through you, um, Honorable Chair, I, I think what Honorable Mente was alluding to is um, government having a single um, ERP system, a repository system that would en- enable National Treasury to do oversight responsibility um, ensure that reporting happens um, uniform across across government. Um, the intent is not to centralize procurement, but to ensure that um, um, the um, organs of states like National Treasury that has an oversight responsibility has um, access to procurement activities within organs of states. Um, 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 that we envisage that we would be able to achieve um, through an IFMS system once it is fully completed. But um, what happens outside the system issues of reporting, specifically when you look at the matter that we, we, we're talking about this, this morning, where we're talking about restriction of suppliers, um, um, and these are the things that, that happen outside the process, which um, needs to be fed into the process. Um, um, once they have been reported. Um, 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 the system would, would deal with procurement um, of goods and services, but we would not seek to regulate behavior um, of those that do procurement. Um, and, and that is something that we need to seriously look into, um, um, independent of whether there is a system or not, um, instilling um, discipline of officials that are trusted with ensuring that procurement happens in line with the with the promulgated prescripts um, and, and, and that consequence management is taken care of. Um, certainly, um, even if you've got an ERP system that deals with procurement, behavioral issues would still be um, managed differently and the accounting officers are responsible in terms of their PFMA to ensure discipline um, of all the officials that, that, are, that are trusted with um, procurement activities within government. Um, thanks. Um, Honourable Chair. Okay. Right. Um, I I think uh, obviously progress is is being made. The the intricacies of the law are at play. Uh, but um, Ch- Chair? I hope I'm audible. Yes, Honourable Hatev. No, I ask the SIU. Um, to, oh, my to apologies. Yes, on, on, on the issues of referrals, where are they sitting? My if apologies. National Treasury is not having any pending... Um, the, the head of unit is eagerly yes. waiting to respond. All right, over to HOU. No, thank you. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Uh, Honorable Hadewe, thank you very much uh, for that question. Uh, as you would have seen, uh, in our slides, there's numbers that we are showing per province. Um, so all of those referrals, um, and, and, and perhaps we can even enhance the slides to show the age, the age of the referral, when was it sent and all of that, and then resent to the committee. But all of those would have been sent to the accounting authorities or accounting officers, as the case may be, uh, with the expectation that as accounting authorities or accounting officers, they should then take the necessary steps uh, to kick off the process to restrict the service provider. 
in line with uh, what my colleague, Mr. Maharaj, and uh, Mr. Mudefe has presented as the process to blacklist. Now, in terms of uh, comparing the statistics, uh, Honorable Hadebe, so from, from where we sit, all of this would be uh, sitting with the accounting officers or accounting authorities. So uh, I would then probably propose uh, which, which we can do with our colleagues uh, at, at Treasury with the DG's permission, uh, that uh, uh, our team and the Treasurer's team can then compare the numbers, check the numbers that they have and have been completed, which department or which state institutions they came from, and we can indicate which state institutions if we send these numbers to, and where are they in the, in, in the system, in the process? Where are they? Uh, I remember Honorable Hadeve in one of the uh, meetings we had with the Honorable Committee, the, uh, the, the pointed question you had was, how long does it take to blacklist a, a service provider? And I think that question is still, is still, a, is still a moot question uh, because each and every process really depends on the, on, on, on the due process that's followed, uh, how long it takes, to give the service provider the opportunity to present and he writes back to the accounting authority and so on. So, so we, 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 we will then indicate uh, in our engagement with Treasury, these are the numbers, this is where they've been sent to, which numbers do you have, uh, where have they come from, and where, if, 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 there's, a, if, if there's a balance of numbers, uh, where, where are they in the system? And then we can possibly follow up properly uh, with the relevant accounting authorities or accounting officers. Thank you. Honorable Latte, within H, are you happy with that? Yes, no, through you, Chair, can we then give um, the process 14 days to give us uh, feedback and action taken if it is found that uh, the failure is in relation to accounting officers not promptly uh, dealing with these matters. We don't want the laser fair attitude, Chair, in effecting consequence management. Um, can I suggest 14 days, Chair, for us to be given feedback? And I fully concur with the proposal made by Advocate Mutupi. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable. Okay. okay. Now that is in order. Um, Tolash is, uh, been, is having, well, all right, I see the is is that a new hand? Also, it's a historic hand. No, it's a, it's a new hand, uh, Honorable Chair. But, uh, um, just a follow up uh, to the response for Honorable Hadem. Okay. Uh, you, you see the difficulty stands. Difficulty stands that uh, the, the main accountability in this sense rests with a departments or provincial uh, uh, related uh, departments under investigations. And those referrals uh, have been sent to them. Uh, Advocate Mutibi could uh, shape the report together with Treasury, and that report would still point that the referral was made to this and that and that and that. That's where things are. It looks like if we want to see further action and accountability. We need to find a way of getting into where things are, up or fellow conitor. 
And and uh, where things are uh, with those uh, departments which are affected. So the compilation of the list, the direct uh, involved departments uh, and sectors uh, ought to be followed. Uh, and in this instance, uh, it looks like Treasury is unable to follow that because the referral should be made to them by that specific department. It, it might be that on, on the seat of such a, a report, uh, there, there needs to be some form of action which is directed uh, to those uh, departments and make them account for their failure uh, in as far as such a referrals are concerned. So, so my view uh, is, is that they, are, they will only be assisting us to know, but further from such would need to sit and uh, frame a, a way forward, which is going to assist to um, enforce uh, that uh, kind of accountability uh, to uh, uh, various uh, pointed departments or, or sectors. Thank you, Chair. Okay. No, Babson, I think I, I agree with you. The, the, there is a seemingly disjointed uh, implementation of uh, the, the blacklisting. Uh, in in that one of course national treasury is expecting that work is done uh, of this implementation in other spaces and so on but you see the issue of individuals registering new companies is one thing but the fundamental point is that we are not really here speaking about companies because it's very easy to register these things it's a blink of an eye Ultimately here, what we are really wanting National Treasury and the law enforcement agencies to look at is the blacklisting of individuals. Because company names and company registration is an administrative exercise. It's a desktop exercise performed by people if uh, company one is blacklisted uh, then they just move on to the next one. And so you've got repeat offenders in different outfits. Um, and that is ultimately where the, the challenge is. So I think National Treasury really needs to apply its mind on an implementation plan, a monitoring plan uh, of this uh, blacklisting arrangement, which is going to be watertight. We're not expecting National Treasury to lament. Um, where there are, of course, areas where parliamentary intervention is required, then National Treasury introduce those amendment bills uh, if it has to go to that extent. Unfortunately, we as a committee are not allowed by the rules of parliament to introduce, um, you know, bills and amendments and so on. But you are in a position through the Standing Committee on Finance um, um, and to, to, to do that if it comes to that. So I'm really calling for a thorough assessment uh, of the entire arrangement and to tighten and close the loopholes which currently prevail so that the issues that colleagues are, are, are raising will not need to, to arise moving forward. And so it, it really then goes 
to the law enforcement agencies uh, actually being more aggressive in so far as personal liability is concerned on these acts of corruption that take place in so far as these uh, bogus companies are, are, are concerned. Because really, you know, the issue of Mahwa construction that um, we, we, we are all happy, and I think Honorable Hattabi, you speak for all of us, uh, when in the assessment that you make, that the kind of uh, pressure and uh, uh, consistency we have applied on that matter has yielded these kind of results and is, in fact, as I'm concerned, a, a, a case study on how we need to do things because a focused and targeted intervention like that one, we see it to a logical legal conclusion is this one is helpful. But the issue with Marco construction is fundamentally that um, you're dealing with individuals here. This company has been doing business with public works for the longest of time, you know, over 10 years, over 15 years. And so they become part and parcel of the furniture and the individuals end up becoming the systems. And that is the risk. And so I think really um, National Treasury and SIU, I think moving forward, that's the kind of you know, proactive steps we are looking at. This has to now become a personal uh, agenda you know, for people. It must bite people. Um, otherwise, we know we, 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 we are in trouble. But I think let's, let's leave it at that. I think, colleagues, we've got a sense that work is being done and all the submissions that are required, um, particularly the specific areas around SAA, which has been raised, um, and also on the those that have been blacklisted. But I think also importantly, we need to know where, where are the areas of resistance, which are these accounting offices and or departments or entities that are resisting uh, so that um, we, 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 we can call them in. I think Gauteng uh, and Waslu Natal in that slide uh, are also you know, leading in that regard. And so at least we've got a, a particular sense of where to focus. But ultimately, there has to be a paradigm shift that uh, the blacklisting must not be a cosmetic exercise in the sense that it blacklists names of companies, but it must blacklist the associated persons uh, who are involved um, in these uh, acts uh, of corruption. So colleagues, I'm going to hand over to the Deputy Minister for any concluding remarks that you may have, and then we will call it a day. Uh, Principal, yes, Honorable Hattabe. No, no, before, can we then resolve that we, we first start with Gauteng and KZN um, as they are the biggest culprits in this relation to, okay. to come and, and account before us? Okay, sure, no, that's fine. System would then take note of that um, and we will f- find a date for them to just uh, deal with this thing. That's perfectly in order. Uh, may I call upon the principal? Uh, to North. make concluding remarks. Deputy, over to you. No, thanks, uh, Honorable uh, Sengwa, the chair of the committee of SCOPA, and uh, all the members for the opportunity given to us uh, to discuss this important matter, and we'll definitely come back to you. 
uh, on the issues that require further explanation, such as SAA. And Chair, we will definitely heed to your advice that uh, where we can, we should um, recommend certain legislative uh, uh, amendments, including issuing instruction notes. And uh, I think we'll also take seriously look at the recommendations that also came from the Zondo Commission, because a number of things have also come out of that uh, commission, which as National Treasury and government as a whole, will be looking at uh, to make sure that we deepen and strengthen uh, good governance uh, in our in our system, including some of the recommendations or uh, views that you've expressed around looking at individuals beyond just blacklisting uh, companies. So thank you very much. Uh, this has been a very uh, useful and very fruitful um, exercise, and we've taken note of all the recommendations that you have. Uh, uh, forward it to us and we'll definitely make sure that we follow up on those. Thank you Nyabong Aslal and uh, members of the committee and DG and your team, thank you so much for enabling the team to have uh, insightful conversations uh, on, on this matters. Thank you very much. Right, um, thank you very much um, DM. All right, let me take this opportunity to thank um, the DM, Head of Unit, DG, uh, National Treasury, SIU, um, and uh, AG for your presence in this morning, um, and um, the media uh, who constantly are reporting on the work uh, that we are doing. Um, thank you um, all for your attendance this morning. Colleagues, we have got an oversight, uh, one-day oversight visit on Friday to Western Cape uh, Prasa, um, and uh, Ulungisa will be um, communicating those details uh, during the course of the day. I know that there are some uh, apologies. Uh, if they are further, please advise. Uh, but for now, that uh, oversight uh, is uh, proceeding. And then, of course, in the last week of March, we are going to ESCOM uh, as a follow-up visit, amongst others, to our 2019 visit uh, to Metu, Gusile and others. Um, and as I said, it's opportune that uh, we actually go to uh, ESCOM because, quite frankly, uh, the situation at ESCOM is completely... Uh, untenable and poses a fundamental risk to every aspect of South African society, including but not limited to the economy. They are a threat to national stability. This can't go on. Um, and as I said, this issue of AMA load shedding is not just a willy-nilly default position, knee-jerk reaction. Uh, which I know there's a problem with load shed and just deal with it, uh, South Africans, tough love tough luck. No, it, it, it has to run in tandem with consequence management, political accountability, uh, amongst others. So colleagues, that's um, that. Sistombi and Putben will communicate uh, for next week's uh, program. So colleagues, thank you very much. And Bab Somi and I, half past 12, committee chairperson's meeting uh, will be starting. So I think I have to thank you, colleagues. And on that note, the meeting stands adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, Chair.
Thank you. Thank you, Chair.